Hello and welcome to the Delco Skate Park Coalition podcast. The Delco Skate Park Coalition is a nonprofit organization of skate enthusiasts, parents, and disability rights advocates looking to build adaptive and inclusive skate parks in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Erin Lopez, and we are the podcast that covers all things about skateboarding, skate parks, and not just skate parks, but ADA, accessible, adaptive all wheels, and inclusive skate parks in Delco and beyond. Excited to be here with Cindy Whitehead today. Cindy became a professional vert skater at age 17 and dropped in with some of the community's most well-known skateboarders. Cindy has been a strong advocate for women and girls in skating. In 2013, she started an organization called Girl is Not a Four-Letter Word, which promotes gender equity in skateboarding. In 2016, Cindy was inducted into the Skateboard Hall of Fame and was introduced by none other than rock and roll badass Joan Jett. Cindy, welcome. It's so great to be speaking with you today. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for that really nice introduction. You're welcome. So you are from California, coastal California, which is a beautiful area. Um, And you grew up skateboarding in California in the 1970s, which kind of was like a unique place to live in that time and space. So if you could just talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in coastal California and where you used to skateboard. It it was amazing. I mean, I look back on that and we had the perfect childhood, you know, living a few blocks from the beach, just being able to roam free all the time. I live in a small town called Hermosa Beach, California. I grew up here my whole life. I still live here. Can't imagine living anywhere else. Love to travel, but always come back. And we were just left to our own devices to, to skate through the streets, to go down the strand, go surfing, jump in the water, come back. You couldn't ask for anything more. And I just feel like um, it's it's a lot different today, obviously. And I look back on it and I feel very, very lucky to have that freedom. Yeah, and California was a space where I think, especially in the 1970s, there was a, a free range childhood like no other. Yeah, there probably was. And, I, you know, I never thought of it that way. I just assumed all of my friends, you know, in other states, they had the same childhood. Maybe it was a little different. Maybe they lived on a farm or in a rural area and they rode dirt bikes or whatever they did. But I think the 70s in general was a more freeing time than it is now for kids. Yeah. And especially growing up uh, as, a, you know, I grew up in California as well as as a young girl, being able to try kind of epic stuff like BMX biking and skateboarding and whatever you were into, there was the freedom and space to do that even as a female growing up at that time in California. Yeah, I, I think so too, because California is very accepting. It's very liberal. It's um, especially small towns like where I grew up, Hermosa Beach. People were like, no, oh, there's a girl skateboarding. They never said anything about it. They never thought, well, of course, you know, the boys are surfing. You want to go surfing? Yeah. Why don't we help you go surfing? You know, it just didn't seem to have all those boundaries or barriers, if you will, of you can and can't do this because of your gender. Yeah, totally. For me, I could be who I wanted to be. Which is so amazing. And, and I think really, it sounds like really shaped you as you, as you started to grow up and think about doing, you know, things like skateboarding. How old were you when you got your first skateboard? I think I was about seven 
seven or eight when I got the first skateboard. It was a black night with clay wheels. There's actually like, I think, one photo of me riding down my huge driveway in Hermosa Beach. And um, that was the very first skateboard I ever had. I, I don't remember where it came from or why I had it, but I know that that's the first time I skated. Those clay wheels, uh, Jamie Godfrey was on one of our podcast interviews and talked about the perils of skateboarding on clay wheels, a lot of wipeouts. Yeah, but we didn't know any different, right? Because we didn't have anything else. It wasn't like, oh, I can only afford this and I know this is better. No, there was nothing else except steel wheels, which came before us, which were way worse. So <laughs> clay wheels didn't seem that bad. I mean, I still look at that board and I can see like divots in the wheels where there's little chunks of gravel or rocks and you would hit something and just go flying. And, but that's all you knew, right? So you just went with it and went, this is cool. This is so fun. So you um, then advanced to the polyurethane wheel. So at some point you get a much better board. Um, does that start to change your skating and where you go? And yeah, when I was, I think I was 15 uh, and it was for my birthday. My grandmother bought me a Bane skateboard with Cadillac wheels, which I really wanted. And I would skate every day in front of my house. My brother had a skateboard too. He was not very good at it. And I say this over and over again, but I really feel like that's part of the reason. I was like, I, he, he could beat me at swimming. You know, he beat me at all these other things that I kept trying to do what he did. And he was bigger and he was stronger. He's four years older. So skateboarding, it's not about how old you are. It's not about how tall you are, how much you weigh or being a boy or a girl or, you know, it's it's just about creating. So I swiftly learned that, hey, I'm better than him at this but that really wasn't the whole reason the reason was I had so many friends who liked to skateboard and it was freedom I could skate down to the beach and yeah I could have ridden my bike too but I'd get down there and Steve Rocco would be skating and you know like Pat Rocco his brother and Michelle and Mike Kohler and all of my friends were there and we'd create you know things to do like plywood up against the side of a wall and hey could we ride that we saw it in picture somewhere maybe we can do that and so you were always creating and figuring it out. And we seemed to be very accepted. It wasn't like, oh, here's the hoodlums, get them out of here. It was more like, hey, do you guys want a job? You can pass out free Juicy Lucy, like, ices if you want. We'll feed you. And we're like, heck yeah, we don't even have to go home. So, yeah, it was it was a perfect time to be in skateboarding, I think. And it sounds like once you got that board, that that also shout out to your grandmother for getting that board for you. Yeah, absolutely. She, um, she encouraged me to do everything that I wanted to do and always said, you know, whatever the boys are doing, if that's what you want to do, go climb a tree, build a fort, whatever it is. Like, of course you can do that. This doesn't stop you. Gender does not stop you. So I would, I always had guy friends growing up and they always seemed to want to do the really cool stuff. I had a few female friends that did too, but it's mainly guys in my neighborhood that always wanted to go do something. And I was like, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming. And nobody stopped me. So, or maybe they tried to stop me and I just kept coming. I don't know. <laughs> when you would skate down in Hermosa Pier and with some of your friends, it, it sounds like you had a community of people through skateboarding at a really young age and that you guys were supporting each other and, you know, learning, you know, seeing things in the magazine and learning about what you could do next and where you could take your skateboarding. Exactly. I think skateboarding even today becomes family. It's a bit different and we can get into that later, but in the seventies, that was like your tribe. That was your little family. You know, you went to them for everything and their parents were friends of you and 
your mom might not know that mom, but you knew that mom. And, you know, they like you got hurt and that house was the closest. You needed food. That house was the closest. That's just how we were. And it was the same with the young surfers in town, too. I think it's very much a family. Skateboarding is still a family. I mean, Jamie and I met how many years ago? And I still consider him family and would call him and ask him anything. That is uh, such a good description of just kind of like your 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 own skateboard community growing up, but then kind of like the vibe of, of the community, even as adults that we experience. I do want to talk about kind of where you went after you were you were 15 and you're, you're skating in the pier, you have this great um, community of friends. When do you start to uh, take it to the next level? Because you, you go pro at a, at a really young age. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we were waiting, just waiting for the skate park to be finished called Skateboard World. And that was the first park, one of the first parks I ever skated that was locally. I think they took me to Buena Park to skate another park before that. But this was our local park and we were waiting for it to open. And when it did, we were there every day. We were still at the beach skating and doing that, but we'd go to that park all the time. And the goal was get on that skateboard park team because then you don't have to pay to get in a park and you get free food and you play play free video games. And I mean, what better life could you ask for? So we'd be at the skate park every day. We'd do demos with that team which sometimes uh, took place during school hours because it would take place at other schools. And my grandmother would help me ditch to go do that. And that was fun. So I got caught by my mom. So yeah, there was, there was the community kind of moved to the skate park and then you had a bigger community. Sounds like, you know, you had some skate terrain. Was that skate park? Did that have vert? Were you able to learn at that point? Yeah, they had a half pipe and it was called Skateboard World. And it was Torrance, California. And I believe it was a man named Will Schilling who ran it or um, had it. And it had a half pipe. And that's where I learned to skate Bert. Um, there was a gentleman who wanted to do some sort of a B film. And he was like, I want you to go to Skateboard World and learn to skate Bert because I think you'd be really good at it. Good at it. And there's this girl there named Kathy Bomeisler who does skate bird already. She's a little bit older than you. And I want to see if she can, you know, show you the ropes. And I met her and she was just so gracious and kind and just an awesome person. So I got to skate with her. She kind of, you know, that generation kind of phased out a little bit. They had come from freestyle and slalom and they started skating banks and bowls and maybe a little vert. They phased out when we were coming up. And then it was all vert all the way for us for our generation, you know, and we're only like three years apart, but it's a vast difference in skateboarding of what was going on. Yeah. Things changed very, very quickly in skateboarding, especially around that time when things were developing, like even six months, things were changing in that time. And so at the point where you start to learn vert, do you then venture out to other parks that maybe had a bigger, better skate terrain? Yes, we definitely went to other parks because the contest would take place at other parks. And what they were doing back in that time um, is they were having skate teams from each skate park compete against each other. So you go to different parks, they'd come to your park. Was the train better? Sometimes it was worse. Sometimes it, it was different. It was all about the same in a way, except for Upland Skate Park with the Combi Bowl, because of I don't know if it was certain skate park builders that were making these parks or not. But they didn't know anything yet about going really extreme, but Upland had a full pipe and it had the comp. So that was like huge. And then there was a couple of skate parks you'd go to like Paramount 
And the bowl was so big and so much vert that it was almost not fun to ride because it was too much. The runway skate park was like that too. The big pool had a lot, a lot of vert. And, you know, it, it was like nothing else you had ridden. And it was just spread out and wide. So they were all different and harder and easier in some ways, depending on what you were into. When you start to get involved um, in in tournaments and, you know, it, how did that start to take shape? Did, were people coming to you? Were you getting sponsorships? Like, where, where were you at at that point? Yeah, well, I think when I did my first contest, it was the first big one was the Hangtan Olympics uh, at Magic Mountain. And they had, what they had again was skate parks who had their top people go compete at this event. And it was freestyle. And I remember like having to put together a routine to music and being like really stressed out about that. I just wanted to ride the half pipe, but that wasn't on the books yet. So I went to that contest. I think there was 24 of us in my category or something. There was a lot of girls. You never saw them at your park, but they were scattered throughout parks in Southern California. And they all came to that event. And I was so busy riding the rides that I almost missed my event. They were calling my name over a loudspeaker and I was on some ride. I'm like, oh, oh. So I got there and um, surprisingly did really well. I got third and I was on the podium. So that was great. But that's but that's how you got invited to that contest. Then from there on out, it was kind of like you'd hear about contests and you'd go. And further along, it got more regimented. Like once you turned pro, this was the pro series and you're, you were sponsored and your team would say, you're going to this, we're paying for that. And that's how you'd go. You mentioned something, I think that's so important that um, that I think a lot of young women who are taking up skating now should know. Um, there's almost this myth that nobody was, no, no women were skating in the 1970s and 80s. And, you know, we were out there, um, but but you could talk a little bit more to that. There were other women who were professional skateboarders at that time. Oh, yeah, there definitely were. It wasn't as many as the guys, but it wasn't no one was skating or it wasn't just three. There were quite a few of us. We were so spread out in different places. The only time we saw each other was at contests. It's the only time we got to interact. Um, that's how I met Judy Oyama, who's from Northern California. Now we know Northern California is not that far, right? It's a seven hour drive. But back then, you know, that was a long way. We couldn't even dial that on the phone. That was a long distance call. She and I wrote, right. yeah, we wrote letters to each other back and forth. Um, alien concept now, I'm sure. But you'd see these people at contests and then she and I would keep up by writing letters and she'd say, I heard so-and-so's doing this. And I heard there's a girl coming from Texas. Did you hear that? Like just rumor mill through letters. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of girls out there skating. Their history is very sparse. Um, and it's hard to to uh, collect that history because a lot of people didn't have their pictures taken for magazines because magazines were featuring men. And a photographer couldn't sell those images easily. So it was like, well, why? Film costs money. It's not like a cell phone nowadays. You take a photo and it costs nothing. Film costs money. So to film, to, to shoot and process film on something that may or may not make them money, they, a lot of them were not going to do, unless it was freestyle. If it was freestyle, then it was pretty, it was deemed acceptable, and that was okay. And the magazines were filled with that when I was growing up. 
but at least I got to see some girls. So that was awesome. Um, or if it was a banked wall and it was just a flowing soul skater style, that was okay. Once it got to vert in our group, there was less and less of that. When you started to think about getting a sponsorship because you were really motivated to keep this going and pursue your skating, um, you pursued that. You you went out there. You were like, I I'm not going to wait for someone to come to me. Yeah, I think for the women, you know, they didn't always come to you. You have to ask for what you want. And um, I think that's what I did with Sims team, too. I, I think I said to them, you know, I've left this team and I'd really like to ride for you guys. And they didn't have a female skater at the time. And they welcomed me with open arms and they cut my boards down for me. They were just in Santa Barbara. It's a two hour drive. I could run up there and get stuff. They um, it was a family operation and I felt very comfortable there. Uh, every team had a different vibe. That was another thing. It's like teams had a different vibe. And so to some extent, they still do, right? But back then, you know, if you rode for Veriflex, you probably lived near the skate park that Veriflex practiced at, you know, their area. It was a certain type of skater. Sims was very clean cut people. And um, we wore red, white, and blue. Those were the colors. You know, Gordon and Smith had a religious slant to it. Um, it was, they had the fish on the board, so it was Christianity. So they had different colors. It was it was interesting. We all had different colors. We all had jerseys. Um, yeah, it, I did ask people, like, when I wanted something or wanted to be, and I did that with Puma tennis shoes. So I was going through tennis shoes like mad. And everybody seemed to be riding for vans and I didn't have that connection and it didn't really occur to me. Um, and Nike wasn't really on the scene yet. I wore a lot of Nikes, but they weren't really on the scene. I had no idea how to get hold of them, but Puma, I was able to research a little bit and get that information and ask them. And luckily they said yes and started providing me with shoes and everything else I needed. You were organizing sort of your own skate trajectory at that time. When you started to think about going from, so you're mostly skating in, in Southern California, but when you started to think about, okay, you, you were going to start to travel with your skateboarding and you start to skate in some pretty epic places. Um, and there was a conversation, I think that, that happened with you and your family about what that was going to look like. Cause again, you're still pretty young, but you made some plans to go to Cherry Hill skate park. Yes, actually, a man named Ted Coombs uh, said to me, he used to hang out in Hermosa um, as well, and he knew me, and he said, why don't I put together, like, a skate trip for you and, like, a roller skater? So it'd be a juxtaposition. Like, they'd think the girl would be roller skating, the guy would be on the skateboard, but you on the skateboard and a guy on roller skates. And we knew a lot of pro roller skater guys at the time that were really good, and um, he thought up that whole trip and made that happen. And that's why I always say, like, definitely thank all the women around you who help you and bring you up but don't forget to thank the men too because back then men had a lot of power compared to women in skateboarding because the women weren't really in it yet so if it wasn't for ted coombs giving me that tour and sending me um and he funded it through i think the boy scouts of america which is pretty ironic right like i'm like i'm on the girl and then the girl scouts um but the boy scouts funded that and he helped fund it and sent myself and a roller skater named Duke Rennie um, on this tour. And it was Cherry Hill, Apple in Ohio, and then a couple places in Florida as well. So, yeah. And, and when I went to Arizona to skate the full pipes, that was also because another guy named Kevin Anderson, who I skated with on ET, um, 
which is a skate shop here, surf, surf and skate shop. He was like, we're going to the pipes this weekend. I'm like, can I go? Like, <laughs> oh, I guess if you want. And I'm like, okay, uh, so mom, I'm going to go skate these pipes with these friends. And she trusted all my guy friends. She knew they really looked out for me, but she didn't quite understand the whole skate thing. So we're trespassing on an Indian reservation to get to the Amaron pipes that are littered across the desert floor that they're using to build the pipeline, I think, in Alaska. And they're housing them there. And it was like the Mecca for skateboarding. So my mom writes me a permission slip that says, my daughter has, has my permission. And I'm like, I just look at it and I'm like, yeah, I'll put that in my backpack. And then there's another permission slip that I still have that says, my daughter will be traveling to Arizona. If she needs to be treated at a hospital, you have my permission. Here's my phone number, but should you not be able to reach me? You were able to do things like that back then. So here's my mom, you know, she's a teacher. She's all about permission slips. And I'm like, I don't think they're taking any permission slips when we're trespassing, but okay. She's so, writing this up and saying, here, take this with you. You can go, but you need this permission slip. Yeah. Looking back, I'm surprised I was even able to go. I probably hounded her so much. She just got worn down and she'd do that thing with me. And she's like, you know what? I can't take it anymore. So um, it kind of the Cherry Hill thing, that was a little different. I remember, I remember Ted Coombs being at my house with my mom and me and Duke. And I think Duke's mom was here. And my mom was like, I want to hear exactly what's going on. Like, where's the chaperone? This is a three week, four week trip. Where's the chaperone? So then they had to come up with a chaperone. And uh, she was female and we were 17 and she was maybe 24. Yeah. And pretty wild. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was that was that. And then we got to skate some of the best skate terrain in the world. Cherry Hill, just amazing. I met so many fun people there. It sounds like it was such an incredible place to skate. If if you can remember, tell me kind of how you felt when you first walked into Cherry Hill and, and you saw that skate terrain. Yeah, I, I remember walking in and first of all, we're used to skating outdoors. We don't have any indoor skate parks. So everything's outdoors, open to the elements day and night. We know what time of day it is. We know how the heat feels or the cold feels. It was cold. It was the middle of winter um, when we went. I remember that trying to bring warm clothes and not knowing really what clothes for cold weather of that type was and walking into that skate park and going, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then later going, I have no conception of time. There's, there's no clock here. There's no weather. <laughs> there's no sun. I doesn't matter what time I could have been here five hours already. I don't know. And that was kind of a cool feeling in a way. And everybody there was just, so cool, so nice. We made so many friends. We judged a skate contest. We had a really good time there. And, you know, like I said, those people I met there, I still know them. They're still my friends. I think that's actually where I met Brian Ridgway, too. Um, so Ridgway is a good friend. I <laughs> love him to death. And he's out here in SoCal now. But yeah, that and that place was known for its immaculate bowls, just perfect bowls. And I also wonder, too, if the bulls stayed more pristine and, e and better to ride because they weren't open to the elements. I don't know. I don't know if the, how much that's affecting the concrete, but that place was insane. It's really sad that it's buried. <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah. Some people have gone out to try to see like where where kind of it all was at some point. But the, the whole thing is gone. 
when you did skate there, um, did your did your skills start to develop and change? Like how influential was Cherry Hill for you as a skater? Yeah, I think those are some of the first pictures of me doing an invert in um, a pool or a park, as I remember. Um, I did skate differently there because I wasn't around all the same people as here. I didn't have the bowl dialed in. As I remember, I don't think there was a half pipe at Cherry Hill that I remember. I skated pools there. And um, yeah, I look back at those pictures. It's pretty funny. I'm all in like red and yellow. And I was riding a Powell board at the time. They sponsored part of the trip. So I was riding a Powell board and a board matched my whole outfit. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's kind of how it was back then. Everybody had matched. Um, yeah, I think my skills definitely changed and improved in, in great ways. Skating that park, it was it was a luxury. Like when people found out you went to Cherry Hill, they're like, you what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. Like even nowadays, people are like, you rode Cherry Hill? You're from Southern California. I'm like, yeah, I went on a skate tour. And they're like, what skate tour? I'm like, the one with me and Duke Rennie, the roller skater. And then Jay Smith showed up. He was there for some other demo. They'd send boys on demos sometimes, you know, to promote products. They never sent girls, but they sent Jay Smith and he happened to be there when we were there. And so we had a great time with him too. Like we were just, we were just having fun. It was great. It sounds like so much fun. And it sounds like uh, there were, there were times for you when you really felt like, you know, you were there just as a skater, that there was, there wasn't really this gender aspect going through your mind. Is that, is that accurate? That, that is accurate until it came time to do like the TV appearances we were supposed to do. And then I, I totally felt the gender aspect. And since I was raised here with all guys and I always spoke my mind, just thought I was one of them. It's very interesting. And I wish I could find footage of it. Um, being on a local TV show. And I remember the host asking Duke all the questions. And Duke is is kind of like my husband is, he's, he's quieter. I tend to be more gregarious and have something to say. And Duke would rather just let his skating speak for himself. And so I remember um, them asking questions and me kind of him looking at me and I'd go, okay, so let me explain that to you. And then go on and on. And the guy would still just keep coming back and asking him the questions. And I was like, I'm I'm sitting right here. I'm in a director's chair. He's in a director's chair. You're in one across from us. And I'm right here. And I thought, that's so weird. You know, I hadn't really experienced that yet. When that experience happens to you, is that sort of when you really, like you said, that's when you really notice the kind of the, the differences in your gender and how you're treated because you're a female skater. It sounds like you weren't getting it from the community, but you were really kind of seeing that when you were going out doing interviews and things like that. I think I got some of it at Skateboard World because that's why I started wearing the headphones to tune everything out. Tell it's me a little bit about that. Cause I, I first, I love that. Because I remember doing that as a kid in the 70s and riding BMX bikes because you used to be able to get those headphones with AM radio and yeah. FM radio. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to tune them in and you're like, wait, I'm waiting for a good song. Okay, I'm going now. <laughs> so, so, yeah, everybody knew that I'd be sitting there like tuning between three different stations. And when a good song came on, like I was going. But, you know, there were comments from other kids and, and also girls that were there to watch boys skate or maybe guys that were there to watch boys skate um everything from commenting on appearance so like oh nice butt that sort of thing 
which I don't need to hear. Nobody needs to hear that when they're skating. No. Thing. Um, to, is it a girl? And sometimes it was positive comments and sometimes it was borderline negative or what I considered stuff I don't need to hear. So the headphones really, you know, a friend let me borrow his one day when I was there. I was like, oh, this is freaking great. I can get into the music. I love that. I push myself. I don't have to hear what anybody else is doing. I can be in my own little world. So that was awesome. But by the time, you know, I was traveling and going to Cherry Hill and skating Marina and skating Upland, I wasn't wearing the headphones anymore. I was, I was uh, just out there <laughs> bare <laughs> with no headphones. And people kind of knew not to say anything to me or about me because I had so many guys around me that um, unbeknownst to me at the time were protecting me. You know, I, I said at Skateboard Hall of Fame, I did not know that boys liked girls that skateboarded because I didn't get asked out a lot. I had one boyfriend at that time, but I didn't get asked out a lot. And then I came to find out from some of my pro teammate friends, oh no, they were there. They were trying. We just kept them away from you. We just like blocked them and they couldn't get near you. And I'm like, damn, I didn't know that. So, so yeah. Um, they were very good to me. The guys in skateboarding were very protective. I mean, I'm sure there's some that maybe didn't care for a girl riding with them all the time, but I never heard those things. I think I hear about it more now than being adults. I hear some things sometimes in Facebook and other places, and I'm kind of surprised because I'm like, that wasn't my experience. That wasn't the feeling I got. You got a community that really, it sounds like really supported you. There were also some women in your community that you've mentioned before who were, um, who were instrumental in helping you or, or just friends of yours. Um, Michelle Kohler, Gail Springer, Judy, uh, is it Oyama? Huh? Yeah. yeah. She's a great, I, I love her. She's honestly one of she's my favorites. Awesome. Yeah. She's still skating slalom and gets in the park and yeah, it was hard for her too because being up north, that you know, Southern California seemed to be where everything was like happening down here, and it still kind of seems and feels that way in a way. When I look at skating today, you know, San Diego, San Diego, San Diego, and I'm like, hey, you got Venice right here, you got all these other skate parks right here. You don't have to live in San Diego to train or to skate or to become professional or to get on the Olympic team, but that's kind of the focus is is San Diego, San Diego. Um, but yeah, I had friends from all over Michelle Kohler and her twin brother, Michael lived here and I skated with them all the time and I'm still very close to both of them and their mom. Fabulous. Um, and you know, Judy being up North was a great, um, sense of like inspiration and support for each other. Uh, there were a lot of, a lot of girls. It's funny. A lot of girls that I skated against back then, I wasn't that close to now that we're adults. I'm like, you're an awesome person. I wish we would have been closer. But you live so far and we didn't make that connection. Um, but as adults, I really like them, admire them. Patty Hoffman's one of those people. Um, she was a little bit younger than me and just kicking butt constantly in the AM division. Eventually she turned pro and she lived pretty far out. But now as adults, like we're always talking. And Vicki Vickers is another one who I totally respected growing up skating, but I never really got to know her. And as an adult, got to know her and her kids. And I think. They're just great and she's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's funny, funny how that works, you know? You're yeah. you're gonna be family for life. Doesn't matter, you know, how old you are, where you grew up, you're still gonna be skate family. Has there been anything that you and the other women that 
that you're friends with and that you know as adults now, but you grew up skating together? Has there been anything, any experiences that you sort of bonded over or, you know, could laugh about, you know, that maybe seemed like a big deal then or, you know, things that just were shared experiences for you as female skaters? Yeah, I, I do think there are. There's things that only we know and happened to us or how it happened and like, oh, did that happen? Oh, yeah, totally that happened. Remember that time we were supposed to skate first and then like we're all ready and warmed up. And they're like, oh, no, you're going to skate last now because the crowd's already here. So like they'd flip flop you or something, you know, or yeah, there was there's a lot of things that we talk about now together that are shared experiences um, at the same venue we were at, maybe or at different venues in time that have happened, how you were treated on a team, um, how the team manager was with you. Uh, you know, just a lot of, a lot of different things, but definitely there's a collection of shared experiences there for sure. Good and bad. So yeah. nothing really too bad. Um, maybe a couple of things, but um, most of it very good. Yeah. With the work that you do now, um, because you, you do some really incredible work on improving equity and, in, and inclusive skateboarding. Um, and do you draw and, and I do want to get into girl is not a four letter word, but do you draw on some of those experiences that you had with, with skating with some of your friends into how you understand the skate community today and its inclusivity? I do. Um, it's funny because it is so different today. And I do draw on those experiences. There was a situation when one of our younger pro riders had got really badly injured and had to have surgery on her shoulder. And she was coming back to the pro divisions for the first time in a while. And she was having trouble dropping in and linking all her tricks in one run during practice. And her parents were there. And, you know, it's very hard when you're a kid. Like, you don't listen to your parents. I mean, I do. I know most kids don't. They, anybody else can talk to their mother parents. So I was like, do you mind if I talk to her? And my advice was just what I used to do when I came back from a broken elbow is drop in, do one trick get out, go in, drop in, do two tricks and work your way up. If you try to do your full run coming back from surgery like that, it give a mind block. There's a mental block there of like, I can't do this. But if you keep adding the tricks, you'll, you'll get that full run and you have the time to do it and practice. And she said it helped her. So I felt good about that. I can only give what I have from my experiences and hopefully some of it helps. I think a lot of the times it does because we had so much less to work with than they do. Um, and I think, you know, even advice with how to deal with this, with the guys at the skate park, like I walked, like one young girl said, I walked by and every time now they talk about my butt and I, I'm like, Oh, I'm the queen of one liners. Let me tell you what you say to that. And, and I said, or you've got your, you know, you've got your phone, put in your earbud, your earbuds and, and, don't listen to it at all if that makes you more comfortable. I can draw on those experiences and give them some advice that, you know, hopefully maybe their parents don't have in their bag of tricks to give them. So hopefully it yeah. helps. From someone who lived it, that's that's such an important thing to be able to give to somebody, especially for these young and up and coming female skaters. I absolutely love that too, you know, that advice. And the advice for the, you know, the, the girl with a broken shoulder, just to kind of break it down step by step, you know, don't try to take on too much is, is really, really cool. Yeah. It, it is different though now too, because a lot of them have coaches. We, we did not grow up with coaches and that sort of thing. 
So a lot of times I do like to make sure because a lot of those coaches are guys I grew up with. So I will say, what does your coach say about that? I defer back to the coach because that's something that's somebody they're working with and they should be listening to them um, and they should be putting their trust in them. And I don't want to go against anything that coach has to say. So I can give you the female perspective um, and I can give you what I did. But ultimately, if there's if there's something else there, defer to your coach because they came from my era. They'll know a bit more about that. But sometimes they will. They'll say, oh, my coach told me to do this, but I'm having trouble with this. And I'll look at the video that the mom will send me of the young girl. And I'll be like, she totally has it. She just needs to commit. It's a, it's in her mind right now. I can see that she has it. Um, I don't care if she lands it and reverts out of it. Just make the rotation. That's all you need to do right now. And then work with your coach on getting it smoother. So I can help with that kind of thing. Um, and I'm happy to, but when there are coaches and it just seems like everyone has a coach, only a few of my girls don't have coaches. That's amazing. That's, a, I mean, it's just a, a, a nice thing to be able to provide a young girl is that, that lived experience from a female skater. Yeah. And sometimes they do, they get to a certain age and they want to call me. It's something they're not as comfortable maybe speaking to their mom about. It's nothing super private. It's just like, I can't do this. Why? <laughs> like, yeah, but you do these other three tricks that are variations of that. So you can do that. But put it aside right now, work on something else and come back to it because it's not going to do you any good to be frustrated at the skate park. And it's, you're not on a time restraint here. That's what I'd like to tell the parents is there, there's not a time period here. We're not trying to like pack it all in and get somewhere really fast. And I know since we have the Olympics, there's this big thing, you know, but it takes time. People, there's people you're you're with out there skating that have been skating five years and you've been skating one and a half or two. You can't rush that. It's not a it's not a race. It's an enjoyment. That's such a great point, and I it it kind of dovetails into something that you you've said before. And I think we grew up um, certainly skateboarding out in California. I didn't grow up in Southern California. I grew up in Northern California, but it was just open space and. It, in the seventies, it didn't rain for like five years in California. <laughs> we had that drought, which I think was the whole, how the, you know, the skating, the empty pools got started is that drought of 1976 and 77. But you had mentioned that there were no parents at the skate park and that, you know, that really skateboarders were, were self-directed and, you know, that's such an important component of growing, but, you know, I'm just curious about like, what your thoughts are about having coaches now and, you know, how, how should skating evolve for somebody who's new to it? Yeah, I do mention that a lot. And I mention it, uh, you know, in talks like this and in everywhere I can, when we were skating, there were no skate park, there were no parents at the skate park. The only parents we saw is if they owned a skate park, they owned a company that was involved with skateboarding. Parents drove you up to the skate park, dropped you off. They had no idea who your friends probably even were. And once you got behind those gates of the skate park and you were in there, it was up to you to figure out um, how to act and how to be, how to give respect, how to get respect, um, how to figure it all out. And I feel like nowadays there's, I just, there's so much of what I call the little league mentality of like the parents coaching the kid and, you know, controlling like who talks to who and having arguments and 
all these things. And I guess it's just the way that we are nowadays and things that happen. But it was such a better experience for me. I don't relate to it. I can't imagine my mom coming in a skate park and my grandma would show up sometimes. She'd take some pictures or she'd hang out and say hi to everybody she knew. But she would never get involved in what I was doing. And if I complained about somebody at home, she'd be like, you figure that out at the skate park. Like, you know, I'm not entering into that. I don't know that person. Um, it's very different now. And I, I do wish a lot of times we could go back to the skate park. The only people like me in the park are the people skating. Yeah, there there is a lot. I think that is is sometimes lost if if you if you lose that ability to understand your body and what you're trying to do and you know your own on your own timeline because you know when you go to the skate parks and you see the kids who are out there they're working hard they mm -hmm. they want to get to their goals but they're very self-directed goals yeah i think yeah. it be on the kids time and how they want to do it rather than the parents pushing them I, I don't want skateboarding, me personally, to become gymnastics. I don't want it to be a training ground. And if they want to have a, a coach who can help them learn tricks because it's fun and they're learning that way, I have no problem with that. Um, and I'm glad that a lot of the guys from my era have this capability to do that. But I just don't want these girls especially to have so much pressure on them that skateboarding becomes not in their soul, it becomes a job. It becomes something I have to do and I have to reach this goal by X amount of time. And I think that's why we were so lucky. Yes, we didn't have the Olympics. In a way that was so freeing. We just had these contests. Those were hard enough, right? You know, you're like, oh my God, contest time. That is well. <laughs> but that's just a small thing. But now when you look at the Olympic part of it, it's it's so much more, it's so much more pressure. And it's this goal. Everybody wants to skip, not everybody. A lot of people want to skip this, 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 and go right to there. And it doesn't happen that way. Skateboarding is not that way. Um, and, you know, I hear people say, oh, you know, there's all this snaking people, you know, take not taking turns at the skate park. I'm like, you let them figure that out. That's how they have to figure it out between themselves. There's a hierarchy and there's rules that you don't understand. And I can't explain it to you because it changes moment to moment with what's happening in that bowl. Um, so it's, it's very dynamic. Yeah, it's a dynamic that goes on and it's different at every skate park, every bowl and with different groups of people. And you figure it out when you show up. You can see where it's happening and how it's happening and you learn to read it. But parents can't really, you know, and siblings can't figure that out unless they're a skater. They really don't don't know. Um, That's so, so yeah, well said. It's very it's very different than than in the past in a lot of ways. And I, and I do say to people sometimes, look, we're talking about female skaters here. We're still not there yet. We're still not at. There's a few that are making an amazing living. A few I can count them on one hand. Now, how many do we have? And if you're pushing that hard, just Realize, like, there might not be this pot of gold at the end. What are you doing it for? Is it for the love of it? And then all this maybe comes along too? Or is it just for this goal? Because judges in skateboarding can tell when you're skating like a robot versus when you're having fun and loving it. And style is everything. There's so many things that comes into it. It's not just how many tricks. It's style. It's a lot of things. So, you know, I just say there's 
there's a pot of gold for very few. And most of those people are loving what they're doing and they've made it their own. When you started to think about doing uh, girl is not a four letter word, um, you were really thinking about that kind of that, that gender equity in skating and promoting women in skating. And I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that a little bit. How did, how did you start to think about putting that together? How did you get that together and kind of what your mission was? Yeah, it actually came about really organically. Um, I was meeting with Michael Brooke, who owns a magazine Concrete Wave at my house. And I brought in uh, the creative director at Dwindle, who was here too. We just, the four of us, my husband and I, and these two were sitting around just having something to eat in my patio. And Michael actually said, you should do a collab skateboard with Cindy. You should do like a pro board. And I'm like, no, I'm not pro anymore. No, no pro board. So we came up with the idea of a collab board. And the creative director said, yeah, that would be amazing. And I thought, people talk, whatever. But it actually moved forward. We had a series of meetings. We came up with a concept. I came up with a design and did the artwork. And I said, but I have a real job. Like a lot of people in skateboarding don't realize that this is a side project. This is what I do all the other time when I'm not being a wardrobe stylist for big name companies and pro Olympic athletes traveling all over. I'm doing girls, not a four letter word. So um, we decided to give the money back from the sale of each board to a nonprofit that was helping girls in skateboarding. We picked one for the first year, another one for the second year. And as we went along, but then when I was meeting with Bob Boyle, the CEO of Dwindle, one day when we sat down, I said, you know, I don't see what, where this money's going. Nobody's telling me what they've done with this money. Am I paying for someone's salary? Am I paying for drinks for a party? I'm like, I don't know where it's going. And, and I would see the sales reports from Dwindle, so I knew how much money was going there. And we decided, you know what, there might be better ways to do this so we can actually see it. So we um, became a fiscally sponsored nonprofit. So I don't have the headache of having a board and everything else that goes with it. I pay a small fee um, and they handle the money. And then I meet with them and say, this is what I'm thinking to help more girls. Like we help three girls do their Olympic qualifiers, put money towards them to, to get to the places where they need to go for Olympic qualifiers. And then now we're going to a broader reach of like, maybe it's more events we need for women. So like we're doing one this weekend at Volcom with another group called Bridge to Skate. We're inviting women, girls, LGBTQIA+, all to come skate because this is a part people don't get to skate. It's private. And people are like, oh, my God, I've never been in. Or been? Oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. So we're doing things more like that. But the thought process behind it was, how can I give back to skateboarding? Because I feel like skateboarding really got me into being a stylist and working with athletes if I didn't have that background there's a lot of clients probably wouldn't trust me as much as they do and I love skateboarding and I love to still get on my board so what can I do and then the website followed because the creative director was like well, are you gonna have a website and I was like oh shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> website Facebook Instagram all followed very quickly um because I started thinking let's showcase these girls let's let's have a chronological list of everything that's happened so like we can go back even the smithsonian uh, museum uses my website now to go back in time and go when did leo baker get his first shoe with nike um when did leo baker become leo baker um from before when he was lacy baker so they can see that whole chronological school of events right there on the website it it stays there and you can plug in anything in the search engine 
that's been going on since I think 2013. So we can look back and see how far we've come. We can see how companies have stepped up. We can see how prize money is now equal thanks to Vans and Christy Van Doren and Steve Van Doren. We can see all those things. So when we forget that things still might be a little off in some areas, we can look back and say, look how far we have come and how much further we need to go. When you think about, you know, creating equity in skate spaces, and I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of twofold interested in, like you just kind of described, like how, how things have changed a lot, you know, since the 70s and 80s when, you know, we were younger and skating to where things are now and what it's like for women now. Where do you think kind of... Uh, we need to go in terms of creating more equitable skate spaces for women. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, with our uh, nonprofit coalition, we're really trying to push for those public skate spaces that are open to everyone. Yes, that is a good question. Um, out here, that most of the skate, all the skate spaces are open to everyone. Does everyone feel comfortable going there? Um, that's another question because I, I hear directly from people saying, yeah, I just go early mornings because there's nobody there and then I can practice. And, and so that's when beginners, male or female or whatever gender you choose to identify with, they will go in the early morning. But isn't that sad that we can't say, oh yeah, I'm going to go at 2.30 or 3 when I get out of school because that's the time I have available. So what do we need to do to make it feel more comfortable for everyone, not just the chosen few? And I think it comes to um, groups and numbers. I, I know that a lot of times groups of girls that I know, uh, all ages, they converse on Instagram DM and say, hey, let's hit up this skate park today. What time? And then they all come. And, and when you're in numbers, you feel safer. But should you have to do that? I don't think so. Shouldn't have to. But I think it's kind of a lifelong struggle in a lot of things, you know, even surfing, BMX, anything else that when you're the lone girl, sometimes it's it's a bit harder. And even if you are one of the top, if you're one of the top girls, it's probably not as hard. But how many of there's a how many of those are? There? You know what I mean? Everybody yeah. should feel And I think um having parks be accessible for, you know, our WCMX athletes is important. Um, our adaptive athletes, what, however they ride. My friend Tracy is wheelchair athlete. She does WCMX. Um, and two other of my friends do that as well. Um, Jamie and um, totally forgetting her name right now, which is embarrassing. But there's three of them. And they go to Venice a lot. They can ride the snake run and they can ride the mini bull. But they can't ride the big bull because there's no way out of it. Yeah. And, and also, you know, just in general, like there used to always be a roll in, right? So if you yeah. have a waterfall or a roll in, anybody could ride it and we could get you out as well. And also if you got injured, we'd get you out. When it's a straight pool, when they're rolling, that makes it not accessible for a lot of people, makes it not accessible for beginners unless they jump down in and start from there, which is okay. It makes it not accessible for any athlete who isn't, you know, might be in a wheelchair or might be using their skateboard on their knees or anything else. It does not make it accessible. 
Speaking of the WCMX skaters, because, you know, that's, that's another component of, of building these really excellent skate spaces, skate parks now is that they have those ADA accessible features and why it's so important to include that in, in these new builds. How did you start to get to know some of the friends that you have who are skating in the WCMX community? Um, I met them at Venice Skate Park, actually. They were there just kicking. Love that. Yeah, and I was doing the first round was um, I was doing a, like a promo with Lifetime TV. They were doing a promo on Girls Not a Four Letter Word and putting it on their Lifetime channel. And I said, you know, these are these are the skateboarders that I'd like to have in it, and I'd also like to have these two WCMX ladies that I think are badass in it. They were like, yeah, of course. So. Um, I love that promo that came out because it was so inclusive all across the board, all ages, pros, ams, different nationalities, different gen, different colors, different, you know, everybody was different. And then we had our WCMX athletes, which I thought made really special too, because those girls do shit that is crazy, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And then I met Tracy later on. It was way after that that I met Tracy. She rides at Venice almost every day. She's 62 years old. So, you know, here's another thing with age, right? There's a little girl named Lucy in the sky who rides um, WCMX, who I think is like 10. And then you have Tracy over who's 62 and you have these other ladies in the middle. It's, it's just so great to see them. Yeah. And, you know, a great spot like Venice, because Venice Skate Park is another one of those kind of iconic places. You know, people people travel to Venice, they go to Venice. And so important to see the representation of WCMX you know, skaters at a place like Venice. It, it really is. And I know that um, Jamie and Catherine ride together quite a, a bit. So they have a good support system with each other. And Tracy's at the park every morning. Um, and she goes with uh, one of my skaters, moms, Julie, she, she skates. So they have a good group of people that show up in the morning and stay for a few hours and skate together. And I think, you know, skateboarding is community, right? So you build that community. But I know that, a lot of people are very intimidated by Venice because it is pretty poor and it's an amazing park and it's known worldwide. It's the only park like right on the beach like that. Um, it is in a really pretty spot. Yeah, it really is. And we, we forget that sometimes being here. But when you go there, even if you're not a local or one of people, they're very welcoming. Everybody there is very welcoming and helpful. Um, it's just, I, I find that most, most places really. But I do think that we do need more parks that are accessible for everyone and also to foster more of that community feeling um, with everyone that's there. That's important. I think so too. I think, you know, uh, one of the, the coolest impacts of the Americans with Disabilities Act and in, you know, in terms of recreation is that how cool is it for, you know, a young generation, like a little Grom going out there to skate and skateboarding alongside with someone like your friend, Tracy, and what's the impact of that for that generation? I think it has such a profound impact in terms of inclusivity and really changing the way we think about recreation and how these, these parks can be accessed and used by everybody. I, I think so too. I think it's important. Um, and I think skateboarding has always been something where everyone is welcome you know obviously there's some skate parks where people show up and you get vibed a little bit but that's hopefully far and few in between I would hope 
Um, but I, I think like Tracy will drop in and free fall in that big bowl. Now she can't get out, right? So it doesn't matter who's there. If she even knows people, she'll still drop in, do her thing, and, cut, and then she'll be like, and, you know, look it up. And a couple people, men, women, doesn't matter, will jump in. Somebody will grab her chair and pull her up, pull it up, and somebody will help her out. And it's just like she doesn't worry about it. She just knows. And she goes to parks all over the place. I mean, it's not just there. So awesome. I think that fosters a great community of like working together and, you know, helping together acceptance and support and yeah and you find it there even in a place like venice you're still going to find that community there yeah absolutely when you know we start to to think about kind of the things that you've done in your career you have this great saying which is do epic shit I just resonated with me a lot when I first heard you say that because I think as female staters we're always looking for the freedom that skateboarding brings and you know there's always that thought about that we're going to skate some hit like really forbidden terrain that's kind of like where skateboarding even started you know skateboarding the backyard pools and always finding those spaces. I remember growing up and they would say like, okay, you guys can't skate there. And it would mean like, okay, well, that means we're going to skate there every day. So when you, um, you know, you live in Southern California, when you saw that the 405 freeway was, was going to get closed, um, it, it occurred to you, like, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to skate the 405. Yeah. I, they closed it the first time and I missed my opportunity. I was like, damn, why didn't I do that? And then the second time, my husband was like, let's make a plan. You know, I'll shoot photos and you skate it. And I, I invited male and female friends from my era to come skate with me. And they're smarter than I am. And they were like, I don't want to be around. I'm not willing to go to jail for this. It sounds like fun. You have a good time. Uh, and I think and the first time they closed it, like, weren't people going out there and having dinner parties and stuff yeah, on the freeway? Yeah, and the sad thing is they, they got harassed so much for that or threat of maybe being arrested after, I don't know. But I couldn't even find those people to say, hey, I thought that was great. And by the way, I'm planning on doing this. And can I ask you a few questions? Couldn't even find them on the internet at all. They like were ghosting. So um, the second time, you know, um, the mayor put out a thing on TV saying anybody will be arrested if they try to access the freeway. We will have police at every entrance and exit. I'm like, that's a lot of police, you know. Um, and we were yeah, committed to it. Oh, totally. Nobody's getting out here full commit. And that's made me want it more. I was like, you're going to full commit to no, I'm going to full commit to yes. So, um, I had flown back in from my real job doing wardrobe styling in Florida on a golf shoot. And I was actually really sick. I had been going, 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 and I was very sick with laryngitis. And I was like, I have no energy. My husband's like, look, this isn't something you can put off. You can either do it tomorrow morning and rally and do it and go back to bed, or you cannot do it. It's up to you whatever you want to do. I was like, I'll do it. So we got up at 4.30 in the car by five. I remember being on the freeway and shooting a little video of being on the freeway. and like, you know what we're going to be doing? And we could see the barricade starting to come on the freeway, you know, making it down to one lane and forcing you off. So we got forced off and we were going up and down near the freeway looking for a spot to get in. And man, there was police everywhere. They were cruising up and down the freeway too. So we did we did this climb through people's backyards at one point, hopped fences, got really close to the freeway and the barricades and still nothing. 
and we were ready to come home and I was just so disappointed, but sometimes that's how it goes. It's like a surf trip, right? You don't always five waves. We were almost getting to the end by the Getty Center and I was like, there's a hole in the fence over there. It's like a huge, how is there a hole in the fence? They just put the fence up yesterday. And Ian's like, that's where you're going to go in. I'm going to park the car over here. You're going to run across the street. You're going to run up. I'm going to run down. Don't ask me questions. Don't stop. Just go. Just do it. And whatever happens, happens. And I had like bail bondsman's number written on my arm. My sister's an attorney. She's like, they'll take everything out of your pocket. So, and you don't know anybody's numbers. They're all on your phone. So write that, my number and two other numbers on your arm. They can't take that off. Like, okay. So I wore a blue shirt with a smiley face on it. (laughs) I ran up and he ran down and I just started skating down the freeway. And I, I remember seeing a dump truck coming up the other side to take more debris away. And I crouched down and normally I would do like grab my board and go really low. And I think I was like this, which is so stupid. I'd like my arms out like an airplane, like straight down <laughs> just to hide from him to get like really low. And then I was supposed to get off before this next exit because that's where the police were. And the best shot I think is me standing up and looking going, oh, there's the exit. And, <laughs> and then right after that, I ran, I ran off the side and got back in the car, threw everything in the back where we pulled the top over, took the sweatshirt off to, you know, put my hair in a baseball hat, tried to look as different as possible. Um, but yeah, that was super fun. And it, it made me feel like I was a teenager again. Yeah. is Because that's what we used to do is go in backyard pools and skate and try not to get caught by the police. So Tell it felt- me about that feeling you had um, because I think you were totally onto something. Like a lot of people when interviews would ask you like, why did you do that? And my first thought was, of course she did that. <laughs> of course. Why did that's I the do coolest that? thing. That big open space. So the 405, like, you know, that's a big open space. There's no trees. You know, you have this big sky. How did it feel to be, to be on that big open road on your skateboard? It felt smoother than I thought it would be less debris because I changed my wheels out. I totally picked what board I was going to ride. Um, what I could run with versus a long board, even though the long board was more stable. I, yeah, the whole thing, it felt smoother. It felt like freedom. It felt like I hate this freeway. I'm always sitting in traffic on it for the last X amount of years of my life. And now I'm skating down it and no one can stop. I mean, I guess they could, if they had found me, <laughs> but I was like, and I'm doing this, and this reminds me of skating backyard pools because this is freaking fun. And I, I was thinking the whole time, I can't believe nobody came with me. There could have been three of us skating and one in each lane. It would have been so cool. Yeah. And like, and I just thought, you missed out. That's all I could think. And I was yeah. happy when it was done. I was like, we drove to a gas station and where we felt safe finally. And Ian pulled out the camera, let me see the back to see the shots. And I was like, oh, we actually got it. And we came home and I put one on Instagram and hashtagged it Carmageddon. And that's when it exploded. That's when the Huffington Post called. That's when all the TV channels called. That's when my number is very easy to find. I'm not, I'm not hiding from anybody. Um, So yeah, it was crazy, but I did get asked that a lot. Like why? I'm like, because I'm a skater. (laughs) I love that you picked a board that you could physically run with if you had to. Think about it. If I need to bail, I can do it. Yes. I thought about that. And I thought about like, 
uh, like a t-shirt under the sweatshirt so that I could whip up the sweatshirt and look different. And, you know, the hat, the car, flip-flops in the car instead of tennis shoes. If I got pulled over, everything was hidden in the back. I'd be like, I have flip-flops on. Why would I be on the freeway? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then, you know, when they came to talk to me about it, all the guys from the news channels were asking Ian why he chose to skate down the freeway because we had the same length hair. And I was like, and you'd be like, no, that was my wife. I took the pictures. And they're like, I'm like, weird. So yeah. weird. Yeah. But you just know, par for the course. I think you were totally onto something though, you know, because uh, again, a lot of people ask like, why, why did she do that? But, but I think you, you kind of were way ahead of your time on that with skating a big open space like that. Because one of the things that happened, you know, during the pandemic, and especially in cities in California, so in San Francisco, there's this long stretch of road and it's right on the beach, it's called Great Highway. And that was always, you know, we used to skateboard down that as kids and you're always dodging, trying not to get hit by a car, but they closed that road to cars during the pandemic. And it's just open to cyclists and skateboarders and, you know, adaptive users, people in wheelchairs can use it. And it's just this beautiful stretch of road. And I remember skateboarding down that. I went over in March and I was thinking like Cindy Whitehead would love this. <laughs> That's amazing. I love hearing stuff like that. Cause here during the pandemic, you know, we weren't we were told not to go out and Ian and I were shooting for a couple different magazines here in Los Angeles. So we were going out in the car and we were shooting spaces where there were no cars, no traffic at all. And sometimes I would get out and skate and do stuff. Um, but it was like a ghost town. It was so, that must've been so fun. It was really fun. And I think you, you, you're, you're getting out on the 405 freeway kind of spoke to something that we need more of these big open spaces, you know, for multi-use and, you know, and how many times you've been sitting in traffic on the 405 and thought, yeah, I could get there a lot faster on my skateboard right now. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of places in LA for sure. Yeah. Faster. Absolutely. It was, but it's a definitely a very epic thing to do. It, it was, I did it on my 50th birthday, well, the year of my 50th birthday. And I was like, yeah, need to do this. This is important. That's so cool. Well, Cindy, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to speak with us today about your skate history, about girl is not a four letter word and the epic shit that you've done in your life. It was so much fun to talk with you. Oh, it was awesome talking to you. And I love that you're advocating for more spaces that are inclusive of everybody. It's something we desperately need. And if there's any way I can help moving forward, just hit me up. You know, we have a website, we have an Instagram following. We're happy to share anything positive like that. Thank you so much. We would absolutely appreciate that. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. If you want to find out more about the mission of the Delco Skate Park Coalition, or if you'd like to be a part of our podcast, go to www.skatedelco.org. And thanks for listening.